The follow-up is simple. Ask a question, listen to the answer, then follow up. I'm your host, Noah Kozlov. Enjoy. The follow-up today is with Ryan Cameron, who I met back in 2005 in Reading, Pennsylvania. I was a young broadcaster on the radio for the Phillies AA team, and Ryan was closing games for the Reading Phillies as a reliever that year. And Ryan, you spent 10 years in the minors, and Mm -hmm. was there a moment that stands out that tells the story of the emotional toll that playing in the minors for 10 years can take? Yeah, you know, I think it was it was Easter Sunday in 2008, frankly, which was the last day of my professional career. Um, you know, got to that point. I'd just gotten married. Um, my wife now, it'll be 10 years on November 3rd, but we had just gotten married and, uh, Got to the end of the spring, Phillies didn't have room for me, so they released me, and it was uh, it was early in the morning um, on a Sunday, and uh, I just remember sitting there, and you know the thought process. Clearly, there were some some thoughts going through my head about just the physical ability anymore. You know, I wasn't ever a overwhelming talent. You know, I was a, kind of a little engine that could. Um, so talent really wasn't the, on the forefront of my thoughts that day. It was more just what was I ready to do at that point in my life and what would baseball facilitate, right? What would baseball allow me to do with a new wife? And I was 30 years old at that point. And, you know, your, your priorities change. Um, so over the course of 10 years, you go from being happy as, as can be to be on the floor of a studio apartment with five air mattresses and four buddies <laughs> to being a 30 year old married guy making, you know, 3,500 bucks a month. So it just got to that point where I didn't think I could, fairly do that for her and also you know it just wasn't conducive I think to the, the point of my life what I was in at that point so I made the you know the ultimate decision to not pursue other options and just take my blessings for the 10 years I got to play and, and move on did you anticipate getting released that day it's funny you ask uh, I, I did and I won't say any names but at that point in your career when you play for a decade your buddies start to kind of get into the coaching ranks Uh. (laughs) which is when you know you're getting old and so you know I had a decent spring but I was not you know I I could just tell you know you just get a feeling if you've been around long enough kind of where you fit in and what the what the organization thinks of you and at that point I'd been with the Phillies for a few years I had been a participant in their major league spring training for 06 and 07 really felt like I was on their radar and and in 08 it was a minor invite and clearly I, I was no longer in that uh in that thought process for them and so when the cuts were coming I, I basically said to my buddy I said hey just do me a favor you know just give me a text just give me something you know just give me a clue you know because I don't want to go in there with the rest of the guys at eight o'clock and have a full clubhouse and get pulled out and that's not how I want it to go down you know I'd rather get there nice and early beat the crowd let them do what they've got to do and and kind of get out of there and so he did he texted me the, the night of the cuts and he you know he said I'm sorry man and so the next day I got up you know, kind of extra early. I think I got to the ballpark around, you know, 5 a.m. And I walked in, you know, still dark, not many people there. Bill Dancy was in there. And I think he was shocked to see me. Um, maybe even a little bit angry. I think for him, there was a breaking code there, you know, that I had been tipped. But nonetheless, you know, we had the discussion with Dance and uh, Gorm Heimuller and those guys and mm-hmm. um, Steve Novarita, you know, great people. I mean, those men are just, just tremendous men. They handled it as well as you can. 
I think they recognized in just my body language and some of my comments that, you know, I was at that point and this was it. Um, so then I just, I walked into the clubhouse when that was done, you know, the formality of it, and packed up my bag and sat there and looked around and looked at names like, you know, Kyle Kendrick and, you know, all these other young guys where I'm like, you know, the game goes on. You know, at the end of the day, I, I was absolutely beyond blessed to get 10 years in it. But the game goes on, and a few, just a few hours from me packing that bag, somebody's going to be in that locker, somebody's going to be wearing that uniform, and uh, we'll play baseball today. And um, kind of got out, got on a plane, went home, and and kind of shut baseball out for a long time. You know, it was I was uh, I think physically ready to be retired, um, but mentally, you know, it's it's my passion. You know, and it was there's nothing I wanted more than to be a baseball player and nothing I enjoyed more than going out there and having that ball in my hand and being with my teammates. And so it's a huge transition. And, you know, the way I dealt with it, uh, kind of right, wrong or indifferent was to shut it out. And, you know, for the most part, alienated a lot of friends I had made. I just kind of separated myself from all of it for a long time. And, uh, and finally, you know, I had a friend here in upstate New York who had a son who was an aspiring pitcher and he got me doing lessons again and kind of got back into the groove and, you know, felt that, that burn for it again and you know kind of welcome it back in my life and uh now i'm an avid fan again so <laughs> were you able to reconnect with teammates i was i was you know a couple of them i think um you know it was funny there was a few that i was really close with especially in philadelphia there was um i mean i guess if i go back to the early part of my career in colorado I mean, just great guys i mean Corey vance matt holiday garrett atkins Colin Young and just really really good guys and we it was like this one group that came in in 98 we all just kind of rose through that organization together um always stayed close you know JD Klosser, Chufrin and those guys I still played fantasy football with all of them <laughs> um and then I went to Boston and just and again a great group of guys Justin Sherrod, Kelly Shopik, Bronson Arroyo um but when I got to Philly I think the guys who took the brunt of my separation were the Clay Condries and the Dusty Wathens and, um, you know, the Cole Hamels and guys like that, you know, that I had established real good relationships with because, again, they're just tremendous people. And, uh, you know, I've seen a few of them. Some of them certainly look past it, and it's kind of like picking up where you left off, but a couple of them I can tell feel a little bit a little bit burned by it because I just, you know, again, I don't want cold. I just, I just kind of walked away and um, and I regret that. I regret it a lot because I think sometimes the easy thing to do is to walk away from something when you're when you're at that point. And the right thing and the hard thing to do is to just face it head on. And, and uh, you know, so in hindsight, I kind of wish I did that a little bit more. But are you a little surprised, though, that they didn't understand where you're coming from, given how fleeting that career is? You know, I think if there's a, a skill that I have, it's a front <laughs> <laughs> I could put one on the best of them. So I think a lot of people at the time, early on, right after it happened, or even right before it did, because there, you know, I had discussions with some of those guys that I felt it was coming. You know, I, I, I think I made it seem more like it wasn't a big deal, and I was ready for whatever was going to happen than I really was. And maybe, I, you know, maybe, quite frankly, you know, I don't know that I had even any clue how I was going to be with it. You know what I mean? Because it's... I think it's one of the things I look at today when you hear some of these stories about guys and when I run into some, you know, former stars, if you will, um, and you look at them and in some cases it's sad, you know, you just look at where they are, they're at in their life. And um, it, it's a tough 
transition. I think, you know, people don't realize who haven't been involved in it or played it at any level, any sport, any level, you know, what it feels like to go out every night in front of thousands of people and perform and, you know, the chills and the adrenaline and, you know, um, and when that's over and you drive, you know, you're like today I'm driving in a gate at GE, nobody cares who I am. Nobody cares. I mean, people care quite frankly about what I do in my role, but not the same. There's not, you know, eight, 10,000 people in First Energy Stadium coming up here to sit in my office and watch me do a report, you know? Right. So it's just a different, and, and I think it's a tough adjustment. I don't think professional sports do a well enough job helping guys with that transition. I think they just figure you get your walking papers, you go figure it out, and that's not an easy thing to do. And it's an area um, I really think is, is missing in terms of the whole support network that major league baseball offers major league baseball nfl all of them offer guys to just make sure they're not like i was you know seemingly okay and really at the end of the day pretty depressed and and struggling what what could franchises do throughout your career to be able to better Um, prepare you for that just i I think awareness i think one of the big things is you get a guy i mean you get young kids right i mean the tough thing is you get you get a kid who's 21 or out of high school and he plays a couple of years and he gets released and he's in those early 20s. I think, again, it goes back to priorities and things like that. You know, I think they're less, and this is, again, just my opinion. I certainly have nothing data-wise or anything to support it, but um, I think they're less in that track of their life where it's it's really a huge transition, right? If you get out of baseball at 23, 24, you've had a good experience, you go get an internship and you move on um, or you get a job. And you're 30 and you're married and you've got kids and you haven't been in the working world and you know you don't know what that means or what that is i think baseball could maybe uh, open up internships to guys you know offer guys you know they, they certainly have enough um things that they try to fill with interns that go to the winter meetings at times and mm-hmm. you know maybe those are good spots to offer to offer to former players minor league guys who are transitioning to that next stage of their life make those internships with make priority candidates um so that they could maybe have something to do, make a little bit of money to facilitate going back and maybe spending that college money. But really, at the end of the day, when you get out, boy, it's it's night and day, man. The door closes, you're out. <laughs> Find the next thing. Ryan, I'm glad we've reconnected. I really do appreciate your time. Thanks, pal. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Baseball now has a continuing education program that players can negotiate into their first minor league deals, but Ryan hit on the harsh reality for the majority of baseball players. Only about 10% of minor leaguers will ever reach the show. On the Reading Phillies team that Ryan was on and I was broadcasting for, we had a pitcher who worked at a hardware store and a bunch of off-season teachers. Having a backup plan while pursuing a lifelong dream is as difficult emotionally as it is physically. So players need to take advantage of any assistance the league offers and continue to push for more. Thanks for taking the time to join us on The Follow-Up. The Follow-Up is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W dot com.